Well, welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're joining us from home, and we pray that uh, you're experiencing God um, during this past week, and you'll continue to experience God as you walk through Him, because that's the whole purpose of our sermon series. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we're looking at how the church started, but we're looking at how people experience God's presence as they learn to walk with them, as they learn to worship God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I want to ask you one thing. Have you ever been in a situation where you were falsely accused? When people were saying things about you that you knew were wrong? My guess is that you have. We've all been there. And, you know, for the most part, people aren't doing it maliciously. They're spreading gossip. And we know that when one story uh, spreads to another person and spreads to another person, that that story changed. And what have maybe started out with some truth maybe has turned into something that's maybe just a little bit of truth and a whole lot of lies or falsehood. But as you remember the situation, what were the feelings that you were experiencing? I guess that you were experiencing anger. I guess you were feeling the, the desire to get revenge, to stand up and vindicate yourself. You know, anger, frustration. And this, I think, is one of the most difficult situations that we could probably deal with. Especially nowadays when a lot of times when people spread false things about us, it's not just private. It's not just somebody come up to you and say, you know what, Dave, you know, how come you're doing this and this and this and this? No, it's out there in social media. So how do you deal with it? What are you feeling? My guess is the last thing that you are feeling is a sense of peace. But what if I told you that as you go through this, And you will, and I will, that you could experience peace as you go through. Would that be something that you would want? Well, today we're going to learn that if you are in a situation, you might be in that situation right now, where people are accusing you of things that are false, that you could experience peace, that you could go to bed at night and not worry about other people. Wouldn't you want that? And that's because we serve a God who empowers us and gives us the strength to do that. So if you turn with me, we are going to continue our study in Acts. But I wanted to start off with my main point. And this point pretty much is applicable to all of the areas or the difficulties or trials that we might face. But it's... um, especially applicable to what I'm going to be talking about today, and that's this. If you could put that up. Before you respond to false accusations in a Christ-like manner, you must live your life in a spirit-filled way. And this is the point that I want all of us to get. And if you could get that, you know, I'm not even going to mind if you check out, you know, early today. But before you respond to false accusations in a Christ-like manner, you must live your life in a spirit-filled way. Meaning, if you want to have peace, when people are accusing you of, 
you know, lies and falsehood, you need to live your life in a spirit-filled way, okay? You know, for those of you who are following basketball, we're getting close to the NBA playoffs right now. And when, you're, um, when your team is going into the playoffs, you want your team to be playing their best basketball. And, you know, and Coach Phil Jackson was a genius with this, where he always had his teams ready to go and playing their best basketball in June when it came to playoff time, because he knew that in September, October, November, you know, they were just trying to um, play and um, develop that cohesion and habits needed to, you know, win a championship. But he especially knew that come playoff time, his team needed to be playing the best, best basketball because you can't flip that switch. You can't be playing poor basketball and then come playing bas- come playoffs, flip the switch and play your best basketball. It just doesn't happen that way as a team. Maybe certain individuals on the team could do that, but by and large, the whole team cannot do that. And that's so true of ourselves as believers. If we are not living our lives in a spirit-filled way, when we are put in a situation where people are spreading falsehoods about us, there is no way that we are going to respond in a Christ-like manner. We can't flip on the switch. We can't say, oh, God, could you please be with me and help give me the peace I need to deal with that? That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And so in order for us to experience peace, when people are telling lies about us, when people are trying to persecute us, there's only one way we could deal with that in a godly way. And that's if we are living our lives in a spirit-filled way. And this is the main point that I want us to understand today. So you need to get this point because there is no flipping on that switch. There was no flipping on that switch. Now turn with me to Acts 6, verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now this is a pivotal time in the book of Acts, where previous to this, the main um, focus was on Peter, right? Now um, there's going to be a short focus on Stephen. Then after that, the focus is on the Apostle Paul. But this is what Luke writes. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. It says that two of the characteristics we know about Stephen and that he was living a spirit-filled life is said right here. It is one, he was a man full of God's grace and power. That he was full to the capacity of God's grace and power. But we also read about him in Acts 6 verse 3 where they were choosing the seven men to take care of the, uh, the widows and those who were needy. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn the responsibility over to them. Now, Stephen was among one of the seven. So here we know that he was also filled, full of the Spirit, and he was full of wisdom. Then Acts 6, 5, after they chose, it says, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and 
of the Holy Spirit. So how was Stephen living his life before he was put in this situation where he was falsely accused? Well, according to Luke, he was recorded, Stephen, as a man who was living as one, one who was full of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that before. But also, he was full of grace. And grace really is God's unmerited favor, that God is giving something to us that we don't deserve. And that's what Stephen was doing. That's the way Stephen treated people, that he gave to them things that they didn't deserve. He blessed them even though they didn't deserve to be blessed. And it also includes being a person that is gracious in speech and of character, and that's who he was. You know, he, he, he didn't attack people. He was full of grace. But also, he was full of the Holy Spirit's power and that he was doing amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he was not powered with his own human power. He was empowered or energized with the power of God. And then he also had wisdom. He was full of wisdom. Now, what's wisdom? Wisdom is just being able to apply Scripture correctly in your lives. It's not just knowing Scripture, okay? Because it starts off with knowing Scripture. But if you just read your Bibles and just leave it at that, you're never going to have wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing our Scriptures, but to be able to apply it rightly in the situations of our life, right? Not just to read it, but to apply it. And that's where wisdom comes. And finally, he was full of faith, that he trusted God in all situations. So going into a situation where he was going to be fully, where he was going to be falsely accused, he was already full of faith. Well, he trusted God. He put his trust in God and not his own ability to get out of this situation. He, it was more important for him to have a good reputation with God than it was to have a good reputation of everybody that was hearing all of these false things about him. So once again... He was able to handle this situation, and we're going to see this in the future, because he was living his life in a spirit-filled way. Now, if I was to ask you this one, I want you to think about this at home. Right? If somebody was to describe you and your faith, would you be known by these five things? Would you be known as somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit, that you are full of grace, that you are exhibiting the power of God, that you show God's wisdom and discernment as you're making decisions in life, and that you are a person of faith, that you trust God in all situations. And as I looked at that, I just had to get down on my knees and pray and say, God, you know what? This isn't me. And in a lot of these situations, you know, I am far from, you know, these characteristics. And so praise God, we uh, serve a merciful God. But I hope just these characteristics of Stephen get us to think about our lives and to say, this is a man who is prepared to face persecution. These are the characteristics. Do we have those characteristics in our lives? And if we don't, 
then maybe it's time for us to come before God, to repent and say, God, you know, okay, I'm not there. I've been ignoring these things. But Father, I realize that the only way for me to experience trials or difficulty and to respond to these difficulties in a Christ-like manner is to live with these characteristics and not wait until that situation comes. Because look at these Look at these characteristics. Do you really think that when you experience a difficult switch situation, you could just turn on that switch and you're going to change? Trust me. I could tell you by experience that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the only way to do it is to live by the way that Stephen lived out his faith. Verse 9. It says, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. Now, basically, who are these? who is the opposition that um, Stephen was facing? Well, basically, these were the diaspora Jews who were scattered Remember last week I talked about how they, that they were scattered, that the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria, and then they were scattered, and the southern kingdom of Judah or Israel, what had, they were deported to Babylon. And so the Jews were just scattered from their nation. Israel, the nation of Israel was no more, and they lived all over the world. Well, that was called the diaspora. Or the diaspora was just another word of saying scattering. And so... There were Jews now from the diaspora who were living in Jerusalem. And these were the ones who were starting to persecute uh, Stephen. And they would argue with Stephen. But check this out. This is important. Acts 6, verse 10. This is wonderful. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Okay, he was trying to share the gospel with them. And they were going back and forth, back and forth. They were talking, well, this is why the, the, the Jewish, um, the diaspora Jews were saying, well, this is why it's important to follow the law. And, and what um, Stephen was saying, no, this is why Jesus Christ the Messiah came. And so they were going back and forth, back and forth. But one thing that they found out, even though these were learned people, they could not stand up to the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. I mean, basically, they were fighting with both hands tied behind their back against Stephen. Which brings me to my second point, is human reason reason is no match for God's wisdom. Human reason is no match for God's wisdom. You know, how many times have you been in a situation well, you, you're, you're trying to share about, you know, God and, you know, people are just not, not listening to you and, you know, you feel like you're outgunned and, you know, because I've been in debates and talks with people that are so much smarter than me, so much more intelligent and sharper than me. And that's always intimidated me until I realized that, you know what, you know, I have God on my side. You know, I may not be the most eloquent or the most intellectual, but if I have God on my side, you know, that's no match for their human reasoning. You know, in Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send his disciples out 
to start preaching the gospel. He's been teaching them, and now he's saying, okay, guys, now this is your opportunity to learn how to go out there and spread the gospel to the world, to the nation of Israel, and or to the Jewish community. And he says this, starting from verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Wow. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Once again, Jesus says, I, I, I know I'm sending you out to a difficult situation. You're kind of like these innocent sheep. And you're going to be among wolves that are going to try to destroy you. Kind of in the same situation that Stephen was in. But he said, be on your guard and you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And we've seen that the apostles prior to Stephen, what we were learning in the book of Acts, they were actually flogged also for spreading or sharing the gospel. So once again, this was not something new to them because they knew the teachings of Jesus and that Jesus was warning them, even though this was pertaining to that current situation where Jesus was sending out them out, I think Jesus was also teaching them, hey, this is going to happen in the future. And it did. It said, um, they will be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors, kings, as, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, this is something that Stephen understood. That, you know, when you're going out and people are accusing you of falsehood or you're trying to share about your faith and it looks like, oh, how do I deal with all of this opposition, right? What does Jesus say? He said, don't worry about what you will say. Why? Because it will not be you who are speaking but the spirit of your father who is speaking through you. I mean, doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that give you courage? Knowing that it's going to be God speaking through you. And there are so many times I've seen that, and I can't explain how that does. All I can tell you is it just happens. There are just numerous. I can't even remember the, the amount of times I've been up here when I said, oh, God, I don't know how this sermon is going to go. You know, Lord, just please do something with that. You know, I've been trying and I've been struggling with it. And I get up here and then next thing the sermon's over and people just say, gosh, David, that was a wonderful sermon. And I said, you know, I don't know how that happened. The only thing I can say is God, the Holy Spirit gave me the words to say. The Holy Spirit will do that if you are walking in a spirit-filled way. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say when you face opposition. But, you know, doesn't that give you great hope when we think about evangelism, right? Because how many, when I say the word evangelism, when I say that we as believers all should be out going out there and spreading the gospel, what comes to your mind? What are you feeling? All of a sudden you feel like, I know you may not say that up here, but there's an extinct... Because evangelism probably is one of the scariest things we do, right? Because we know, God, what are we going to say? 
I don't know what to say. What if these people reject me? There is so much pressure we put on ourselves. And when I was a younger believer, when it came to evangelism, that was so scary. And one class that I had to take in seminary was evangelism. And that was one of the last classes that I wanted to take because I was afraid of the assignment that they were going to give me. Because I thought, oh, they are going to make me go out to Hollywood and just share and, you know, just, you know, uh, help grab a person. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, let me tell you about him. And that just terrified me until I really started to understand the Holy Spirit's role in evangelism. Why? Because a lot of times we think that we're the salesperson, that it's our responsibility to get people to sign on that dotted line, right? To sign that contract with God. And if, we, and if they don't, we feel that somehow we have failed. Not only did we fail that person, we failed God, you know? But that's not what evangelism is all about. And Peter, I mean, Luke talks about here. And the reason why evangelism became a lot easier for me is because we have the truth with the power of the Holy Spirit on our side. When I realized that we have the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit on our side, telling people about the gospel became so much easier because really there are three basic things about sharing the gospel. And that's it. The first one is that we have to know the gospel message. Now that's on our part, okay? We've got to study, right? We've got to know the gospel message. Second thing is we have to live out the gospel message in our lives because how can we tell people that Jesus loves them if we are not known as a loving individual? How can we tell people that Jesus is a forgiving God and a merciful God if we are judgmental and we are not a merciful or forgiving person? It doesn't work that way. So everything that we're telling people about the characteristics of God, we need to be at least be willing to be living that out in our lives so people could see that. So people, when we tell people that God is a loving God, that, okay, we're a credible witness to that, okay? And the final thing is we need to tell the gospel message, to share the gospel message, and to realize that we have the truth and the Holy Spirit on our side, right? I'm not the one who saves a person. It's the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit saves people, not me. My main role is to tell people about the gospel message. When I was younger, I used to try to argue with people to make them sign on that dotted line. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't do that anymore. I just do those three things. I I pray for them, and I share the gospel message. I realize that I have the truth and the Holy Spirit power of the Holy Spirit on my side, and then I leave it up to God, right? Because they still have free will. It's up to them to decide whether they are going to believe my message, or not my message, I'm sorry, you know, the, God's message or not. And then I just leave it at that. I just leave it at that. And I continue to pray for them that the Holy Spirit would continue 
to convict their lives. And see, once you view evangelism like that, you know, it gets a lot easier. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say when you have no idea what to say. And then he goes on and says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And basically, for those of you who don't know what blasphemy means, it just involves defaming, denigrating, or demeaning a person. And, and, and here it's not linked to just actions, but verbal speech. And back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 24, 11 through 16, blasphemy against the Lord was punishable by death. And that's what they were trying to do here. They were trying to say that, okay, they knew that they were overmatched by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so they are making these things up to say that Stephen is saying these blasphemous things against God, which came with the death penalty. But still that didn't work. So in verse 12 it says, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the um, Sanhedrin. It says, they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy space, place and against the holies, against the law. So once again, they were still having problems trying to outwit the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So then they started up stirring the people and they produced false witnesses they actually brought up people who lied in court, in the Jewish court, about Stephen. But it says that this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy space and against the law. Stephen was constantly preaching the gospel because it says that this guy just doesn't stop. He keeps preaching the gospel. And that's an example for all of us that we should be constantly preaching the gospel. And I'm not saying beating people over the head with a Bible, but we should constantly be looking for places to tell people how Jesus Christ has changed our life, how Jesus Christ is working in our lives. And that's what they were doing. And he also says in verse 14, for we have heard him say that This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom Moses handed down to us. They actually lied about what Jesus said. Because in John 2, 19, John writes, And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Notice how Jesus didn't say, I will destroy this temple. He says, well, okay, you don't believe me? Destroy the temple. Destroy the temple, and I will raise it in three days. And then they replied, and these were like the Jewish leaders, it took 46 years to build the temple. Are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. John makes it clear that Jesus never said that he was going to destroy the temple. He was referring to the bo- his body. Now, Jesus did prophesy that the temple would be actually destroyed, right? And it actually was destroyed. But he never said that he was going to do it, right? 
The Jews also accuse uh, Stephen of saying that this Jesus whom you're talking about is trying to abolish the law or the Old Testament teachings, right? And Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Meaning the moral law of the Old Testament is still going to be intact. But the ceremonial law, such as the offering of sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins and dietary laws and so forth, the ceremonial laws were going to be done away with. And they didn't realize that the Old Testament law pointed to Jesus, pointed the need for a Savior, that pointed to the fact that, you know, they are going to need to repent, right? That they couldn't live the life that God wanted. But then there was this Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come and fulfill the punishment that everyone would experience because of the law. And it was through Jesus that forgiveness and mercy were going to come to everybody. They lied about that. Once again, have you been in a, in a situation where people, not only were they spreading falsehood about you, but they were getting other people to lie about you to everybody. I mean, that's frustrating. And you could, if you're thinking about it, a, a situation like that right now, my guess is there's a sense of anger that's welling up inside you. Right? Because that's our human reaction to that. And this is what was happening to Stephen. But I want to close with this. Look at Acts 6.15. All those who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, which was the body of the religious leaders, Sanhedrin, looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Right? Here he's going through this period where people are not only um, saying these false things about him, they are bringing in people to purposely lie about him. To say that he is saying these blasphemous things about God so that what? He would receive the death penalty. Right? And how did Stephen react? It says that his face was like the face of an angel where there was perfect calm, perfect peace. I mean, he didn't have a face of a samurai, like, like he was mad that they were doing all of this, right? He had the face of an angel. And this is the last point. It's following God's plan when you are falsely accused always results in experiencing eternal peace, internal peace. Okay? Following God's plan when you are falsely accused always results in experiencing internal peace. And so this is how you know when people are accusing you of falsehood if you are living a spirit-filled life or not. As if you are experiencing internal peace, as if he could go to sleep at night knowing that God is protecting you. That's the litmus test. Because if you're just getting angry and frustrated and you're worried 
and you're just anxious about this situation, well, maybe, just maybe, you're not living the Spirit-filled life. And I get that, because more likely than not, I am filled with anxiousness, you know, frustration, and all of that when I hear people saying some stuff about me. You know? The litmus test is this. So right now, if somebody is accusing you of falsehood and you're not experiencing this internal peace, you know, think about how you're living your spiritual life. What's a weekly challenge this week? I'd like us to read Acts 8, 6, 8 through 15 and Matthew 10, 16 to 20 every single day. Okay, every single day. It says, ask, you this, ask yourself this question. Are you living in a Christ-like manner which allows you to stand up to false accusations in a spirit-led way? Right now, if people are accusing you of falsehood, are you attacking or are you like Stephen, who's responding to it in a spiritual way, full of grace, faith, the power, the full of the Holy Spirit, you know, and wisdom and faith, right? If somebody is accusing you falsely, ask God for his wisdom and power on how to respond. If you are in a situation right now where people are accusing you falsely, I want you to ask God for his wisdom and power on how you should respond in this situation because, you know, you're going to need it. If you want to experience that eternal peace, the only way to do it is to experience God's wisdom and God's power as you go through this, and he will do so. So, Nathan, would you please come forward as I close in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, gosh, this situation is so hard for us to know we are innocent when people are out there accusing us of falsehoods, when people are saying things about us that are not true. And Father, if anybody is going through that right now, Father, I pray that they seek you out for your power and your wisdom. And Father, I pray that you would extend them your mercy and grace. Because Father, I know that if we're not walking in a spirit-filled way, we're asking for something that's extremely difficult. But Father, if that's the case, Lord, I, I ask for your mercy on us. I ask for your grace that you would give us something that we don't deserve. Father, that even though we haven't been walking according to your ways, Father, that you would give us your grace by giving us your power and wisdom to know how to deal with this. And for anybody who is listening at home, Father, if they have been walking in a manner that is not in obedience with you, Lord. I pray that this, your words, that Stephen, as an example, would cause us to repent. 
and live a life in a spirit-filled manner which will allow us to automatically choose you when we face difficult situations. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. That maybe you're looking for peace. Maybe you're not in this situation where people are accusing you of falsehood. You might be experiencing an illness in which your life has no peace. You might be experiencing a difficulty in life. Maybe you're searching for a purpose and there is no peace. Or maybe for those of you who are coming to the end of your life and you're wondering what's next and you're not sure you have no peace. No, God sent his son into this world to die for you. That if you believe in him, if you put your faith and trust in him and his death that he shed on the cross for you as payment of, for your sins, that you will have eternal life. And once you experience eternal life, You could have that internal peace no matter what situations you face, knowing that one day that you will reside with God in heaven forever and that he would give you what you need right now to experience his peace. So if you have not made that decision, I I ask that you say this prayer with me and really mean it to make this day a day where you choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, I haven't lived a perfect life. I've lived my life based upon what I wanted, what I wanted to do, with no regard of what you wanted in my life. And God, I know that I've made some mistakes and I've made a lot of them, and I wonder how you can accept somebody like me who've made so many mistakes. And some of them are big ones. But Father, I believe that your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. All of my sins, both the small ones and the large ones. And that because he died on the cross, he paid for them. And so all of my sins are forgiven and I do not have to worry about your judgment because you say, perfect love casts out fear. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Today I turn my life over to you. I place my trust in your son Jesus Christ and I choose to repent from my old life and live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come into my life and change my heart. Amen. And if you said that prayer, I'd like you to email me and let me know. It's dave at mvfmc.org. Once again, my name, dave at 
thefmc.org and tell me that you made that decision. And I'd love to talk with you about the wonderful journey that you have started. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.